I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm talking to you about the coronavirus and the results of the coronavirus, which would be, uh, it came about because of false teaching. It's because the preachers in the world have been changing the Word of God uh, ever since God inspired it. Uh, it all started with Israel. With Israel. And Israel was a nation. Uh, they, they started when God called Abraham before Israel became a nation. And then you had Isaac and you had Jacob whose name was changed to Israel and he had 12 sons. And his 12 sons became the nation of Israel. And God told them in two particular chapters in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, the 26th chapter, and Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, if you do not obey me and my commandments, obey commandments, he said, I will bring four judgments on you. Four judgments. And you can find these all through the Old Testament. You're going to find dozens and dozens of times, and they'll be expressed in various ways. He said, I'll send the sword. The sword will be war against Israel. Be God, if you're not obedient to me, but if you're obedient, you can take your sword and conquer your enemies, and you'll go against them one way, and they'll feed seven ways. And then he said, I'll send the famine. And the famine is coupled with the third judgment, the pestilence. Whenever you have a shortage of food, you've got pestilence. And you can see that looking at at these uh, at the account of these little children over in Africa where they're living out where there's not any water and they're having to drink filthy water and they don't have any crops and they're starving to death and they got little bloated bellies and people say is that the will of God everything is the will of God the thing is we can't think like he thinks he said so your thoughts aren't my thoughts and your ways aren't my ways. And he said, I'll send the pestilence. And you can put under pestilence, you can put polio. You can put uh, Ebola. You can put AIDS. And coronavirus. Coronavirus and all other diseases that God wants to bring because men have corrupted his word. He said, I'll bring all of this if you corrupt my word. Well, you say, how does that connect? Of course, Israel kept going after. When they got into the land of Israel, when they left after 400 years in Egypt, when they left Egypt, they kept going after all of these sun and tree gods under many different names. You had Baal and the Grove and Shemosh and Molech. And these were all sun gods either of Israel or the nations around them or Venus or Aphrodite 
R-I-C's, those are Osiris, and the list goes on and on. And Israel went after all of these gods, and God says, for that I will send these judgments. Well, they didn't clean up when Israel was scattered. That was the fourth judgment. That was the beast. Well, when God scattered them, the twisting of the word of God didn't cease. It, we got into the church period. Of course, Israel is also the church. Church is the word ecclesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And it means, uh, ek means out, and kaleo means to call. That's what church comes from. It called out. They were called out of Egypt. We're called out of this world. They were called out of Egypt to go to the promised land. We're called out of this world to go to the promised land, which is heaven. Well, during the church, the Bible says that the church is, everything's going to get worse and worse. Wax worse and worse. Evil men and seducers will get worse and worse. And they will finally... At the end of time, now here's proof. The coronavirus is proof that we're close to the end of all things. We have never, ever seen anything this devastating throughout the world. It is a pandemic. It is, pan means all. Pan was the god of all. When you pan an audience, you film the whole audience. That's pan. And a pandemic means an epidemic that's all over the world. That's what it means. Pandemic. Well, we've got a pandemic. Mainly, there's several reasons we've that this judgments are coming. Uh, you've got what we're talking about is the end of time, and the Bible tells us. In Second Thessalonians, you want to find out what's going to be happening at the end of time? You look at these verses. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter. Matthew, the 24th chapter. Mark, Mark, and Matthew, the 12th chapter. And Mark, the... Uh, Mark the uh, the 13th chapter, Luke the 22nd chapter, and all of these and much more about the end of time. Now the part that I'm really bringing out is this 2 Thessalonians, the 2nd chapter. If you want to turn with me there, we'll look at some of these things. I'm going to come back. I have been using Deuteronomy the 28th chapter as a springboard chapter for this series on the coronavirus. I'm going to go back to its sister chapter, Leviticus, the 26th chapter, and show you that Leviticus says some of the same things that Deuteronomy talks about. So what are some of these things that's happening in the world? The Bible says at the end of time in Luke 21, 21, and 25 well it says in 24 these are things that are going to happen at the end of time let me put 24 and 25 24 and 25 
And these are some of the reasons I believe the end of time is not far away. Uh, It could be in my lifetime. I don't believe 20 years will pass before things come to a screeching halt. I believe that this is a sign of the end that we're living in, this coronavirus. Uh, The Bible says over here in... And it's tied with the preachers in the pulpits. The preachers have always... The longer you get away from the origination of anything, the further you go away from the origin, the more corrupt everything gets. And men do it for their own benefit and their own welfare. And we're down here in what the Bible calls in Second Thessalonians 2 and 3. Look at that with me. 2 and 3. 2 Thessalonians 2. And I believe the coronavirus, I'm not saying this in anger, this is the will of God. I believe everything that's happening is God's will. Now, here in 2 Thessalonians 2 and let's read down to 3 now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ coming is the word parousia p-a-r-o-u-s-i-a it means physical arrival now I can't hardly teach this without going eventually in this in this over to first Thessalonians the fourth chapter because it talks about the coming of the Lord or the physical arrival now this physical arrival is a reference back to the previous chapter in chapter one when we see Christ Uh, in verse 7 Christ is coming and to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels now that would be synonymous this verse would be synonymous with Revelation the 19th chapter when Christ is coming back on a great white horse white horse clothed in white white horse and he's and he's coming back in the sky to take us out like first Thessalonians the fourth chapter says that uh, that we not sorrow as others which have no hope but but we know that he's going to come and we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord coming is the word parousia we which are alive and remain remain is the word perilipa remain perilipa l-e-i-p-o it means to survive a great slaughter it doesn't mean this is not a silent coming in the fourth chapter because of definition of two words particularly particularly we which are alive and remain uh, 
Perilipa means to survive. Now, you don't just survive. You don't survive. I can't even spell what I'm talking. Survive. Survive has the implication that something disastrous is upon the world at that time. There's going to be war against the saints. You find that in the 13th chapter of Revelation. There's going, and you find it in the 7th chapter of Daniel, war on the saints. They're going to wear out the saints. The world system is. And we which are alive and survive, remain of the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent. It means to go before those that are asleep in Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now that's proof that's not a that's not a silent coming. Shout. Kaluo. Now most free will preachers that preach on that chapter, they say, see, that's a secret coming. The the word shout kaluo means a war cry. Now what's he doing making a war cry at a silent coming seven years before the end of time? We don't believe in a pre-trib rapture. We believe in the tribulation, but that's for all of the saints of, that's alive in the world. And we which are alive and survive shall not go before those that are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven, and he will be caught up together with these dead in Christ to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. I'm here to comfort you. Parakaleo. P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O. That means to call near. I'm here to comfort you with the fact that we which are alive and survive the coronavirus, anything else that comes after this, there's going to be great tribulation such as was not from the beginning of the world. No, nor ever shall be. This is a beginning of the, of this is a, just a start of the sorrows that's going to be upon the earth. Now let's continue reading this verse. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord. Well, the coming, it's referring back to 7 and 8 and 9 in the previous chapter. Let me finish reading 7, 8, 9. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, when you get to chapter 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's a reference back to 7, 8, and 9 of the previous chapter. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by the letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. What Paul is saying, the day of Christ is not at hand while I'm writing this this epistle. He says, not near. He says, two things have to happen before Christ comes. 
And let's read the next verse. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, a reference back to the day when he comes back in flaming fire in the previous chapter, that day shall not come except two things have to happen. First of all, there has to be a falling away first. Falling away. And the world has gotten worse and worse and worse. These two things. There has to be a falling away. And that is the... It's one word in the Greek. Apo... Stasis. Apostasis comes from two words, apo, which is a prefix, means a removal, removal of stasis. I've said this a thousand times here. You have got something called morphemes. Morphemes in the Greek. That comes from the word morphe, morphe, which means shape. Morphemes are word, shapes of words. And I've got several books on morphemes of the New Testament. Are word shapes. I always buy books that tell me where words come from and where they started. I want to know what does this mean exactly. I don't know any preacher that that studies to that extent. I study and study and study, and when I think I've opened up a big wide door, I think, I bet I haven't really come to the end of this, and I never have. I keep learning about what it's about. Stasis has many word shapes with it. It means it all comes from this word stasis, which means to stand upright. And we're talking about the, the two things that have to happen before Christ comes in his glory to take us out of this world. There has to be an apostasis, and that is our word apostasy. And it means a removal of stasis, standing upright and a man who was said to be standing upright in the first century was said to be from this word stasis we get the word staros which is the word cross you say Jim what does this have to do with the coronavirus or what does it have to do with Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 Well, the Bible says, if you won't keep my commandments and my statutes, I'll send these four judgments upon you. I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll send the beast. And the beast is not a man. It's a world order. Boy, I said that right, didn't I? World system. The beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome, the beast with iron teeth. Greece was represented as a leopard. And Persia was represented as a bear, the largest carnivore in the world, is either the Kodiak bear or the polar bear. 
they kind of a contest which one is larger. The Kodiak is heavier, might be a little shorter, but usually it's a lot heavier than the polar bear. And these are the largest carnivores. Persia had the largest armies. They'd take 200, two and a half million men and attack Carthage. And the, the, the first beast was Babylon, represented as a lion. A lion. A lion was more regal than any other. And then the beast that overthrew all of these was the beast with iron teeth. And always iron represents Rome. You had the you had the scorpions with iron scorpions in Revelation Revelation the ninth chapter and the scorpions had breastplates of iron and you had the Nebuchadnezzar's image in the second chapter of Daniel and he had legs of iron and you had Nebuchadnezzar's I'll just put Neb's image image and he had legs of iron and we know that has to do with Rome because the previous in this in this image you had four parts to the image it had a head of gold and Daniel said that's that's you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. And then he said it had breastplate of, of silver. And then that would be representative of the bear. Silver was stronger than gold. Gold was more precious than silver. But silver being, more, being stronger, Persia was stronger than Babylon. And then you had the torso of brass. That was stronger than silver. And the leopard was stronger than the bear because it conquered the Persian bear. And then the le had legs of iron. And the iron is stronger than the brass. The, legs, the iron beast with iron teeth is stronger than the Greek. Greece and it had iron legs of iron and that would be Rome so this 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 image of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2 is the same thing as Babylon Persia Greece and Rome and that's what God said he would send upon these people so let's get back to 2nd Thessalonians 2 and the scorpions had breastplates of iron. The thing about the scorpions, I've done a study on arachnids, which were eight-legged creatures, and the arachnids, uh, that's what you call a scorpion. And they had, they had breastplates of iron, and in this arachnid book that I bought at the bookstore, it says, that you could tell what family they belonged to by their breastplates. So the family would be Rome. And we've said before, scorpions were like locusts. Now this will really tie in good. Locusts eat, they eat the crop up, 
And that terrified the people when they saw the locusts coming because the locusts is going to tie together with these preachers today. They're doing the same thing Israel was doing. They've changed the word of God and they're hiding the truth. And when the preachers are hiding the truth, then you cannot be obedient because the church doesn't know and most of the world doesn't know the truth because preachers aren't defining anything. So, locusts eat the crop and the Bible says the scorpions are like locusts and they eat the bread crop and the word law in the Greek is the word nomos and it means legally prescribed food for sheep. Legal food. It's prescribed for for animals, in our case, sheep. So that would be the law. It's legal food prescribed by God. And scorp- how are they like locusts? Well, the scorpions, being false teachers, eat up. They hide, like I said up here. They, these preachers today are hiding the truth, and that is because they're not defining and they're doing the same thing that Israel was doing over here when they went after these, these other gods. So, how does that tie in with these preachers? That's what they're doing. They're hiding the truth. They don't define anything. They don't know what anything means. And I'm tired of the preachers. So, so the locusts eat the crop. And the Bible says in Ezekiel the second chapter the Lord told Ezekiel you dwell among scorpions be not afraid of their words scorpions so scorpions are false teachers and they scatter the flock the word scatter is the word scorpizo And it means to scatter. The hireling cares not for the sheep. He's preaching for money. He allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock. Scatter, scorpizo is the verb form of scorpion. So the wolf scatters the flock. So when these preachers are preaching, they're hiding the truth. They're doing the same thing that God warned Israel about when they said, if you're not obedient to my word, how can you obey the word of God when the preachers in America are lying? And that's not... People say, you're too hard, Jim. What do you call a man who covers up the truth? He's lying. He's a liar. All these Baptist preachers I hear, they're lying. The main doctrine of the Baptist church is accept Christ as your personal Savior and sinner's prayer for salvation, and neither one of those are true. The Bible says so. That's, there's nothing frustrated me like when I was a kid, my dad would give him a long invitation him say, you need to come and accept Christ. And if you don't know that you're saved tonight, you may not be. And I kept walking the aisle over and over, and he kept dipping me in water, <clears throat> saying, well, that 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 time you said you were saved before, that's not going to count. Uh, you got to be dipped in water after you're saved. And I don't even believe in dipping in water now. And he... and. 
these men are following they're following a brainwashing technique let me tell you who has brainwashed people in America more than anyone else the man that has been responsible for more brainwashing in the last 150 years is a man named Billy Graham he is the man that started preaching accept Christ when he first started preaching he said that the most dangerous thing in the world was Roman Catholicism communism and Islam that's what he said back in about 1948 he they put up he put up a tent his people put up a tent in Los Angeles and he was and there was a man that heard him preach and he was one of the biggest publishers of newspapers in America his name was William Randolph Hearst let me write his name up here William you can look this up in any number of publications William Randolph Hearst he was super publisher had many many newspapers he heard about Billy Graham thought he was really nice looking thought he had a good presentation and William Randolph Hearst was a Roman Catholic and the way Billy Graham became world famous was through William Randolph Hearst he put the word out in all of his newspapers this is all he said to the editors Puff Graham and when he said that Billy Graham began to question his own beliefs about what he believed the truth was and he started leaning toward the Roman Catholic doctrine I've got a picture of Billy Graham at the Vatican shaking hands with the Pope of his day and he was talking to him about mingling co-mingling all the religions of the world he was the leader Billy Graham was the leader of ecumenicalism ecumenical that is where you blend everything and you tolerate everybody's belief that's what Roman Catholicism was founded on this is Roman Catholicism has changed America's belief belief in the truth and one of their biggest representatives one of the cardinals said Billy Graham was more Roman Catholic than anything else He's shaking hands with the Pope and discussing with the Pope how that can get the people of the world to unite into one religious cause. You can't do that. You're t- the Bible says if anyone preaches any other doctrine, he says the Roman Catholics 
believed what he believed about the gospel. The Roman Catholic belief is that you have to partake of the sacrament of the Mass in order to go to heaven. The Mass is eating human flesh. It's eating human flesh. It's an imagination. It's actually men's imagination that they're eating human flesh, eating flesh, and drinking blood. And Jesus used this old ancient idiom of the Jews and he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Well, the Roman Catholics took that, corrupted it, and made it into a doctrine or a dogma in their church. And they say you have to raise the Eucharist up, and the Mass is Christ Mass. Now, the Roman Catholics, they are scorpions, and they have corrupted... They have corrupted American thought through this man, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. I was, when they raised the Eucharist up, they, they utter the words, Hocus corpus emphilia, and they say that it turns into the literal body and blood of Christ, and that you have to walk down the aisle and accept the Eucharist. That's where accept Christ comes from. You had to accept the Eucharist, and Jesus explained that. He said, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So if you eat flesh and drink blood, you eat of indeed. Indeed is the word alethes. It means of truth. It doesn't mean to eat literal flesh. So you eat and drink of truth, and when you do that, it's in your heart. Matthew, the 12th chapter, says, Out of the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. You tell truth, and eat flesh and drink blood was an old ancient idiom that meant to partake in a slaughter. And those of us that are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord from this slaughter of the church will be caught up together with those that are asleep in Christ, meet the Lord in the air. So the Roman Catholics has taken over the world. All of their doctrines, all of their doctrines, that is part of the beast system. Gosh, it's hard to say this without getting detailed. But there were two, two Caesars that said, we will not partake, we will not partake in the old Roman, Holy Roman Empire doctrine of fire worship. And those two were Gratian and Numa. And they said, we will not partake, but the head of the Roman fire worship the high priest was called Pontifex Maximus. It means supreme high priest. And what they did, they simply moved this Roman Catholic doctrine over into, into the Catholic Church. It was years in developing, but Constantine started the Roman Catholic Church started the Roman Catholic Church when he issued the Edict of Toleration. 
and that's called the Edict of Milan. You can look that up in history, M-I-L-A-N. And that meant we will tolerate everybody in the world and bring them in the church. That's what's going on today with this movement in the streets, these people with all of these hordes. They're taking a good thing of doing away with with uh, uh, being prejudiced towards blacks. That's good, and they're taking that and mixing it with let's uh, let all the homosexuals have let them have their rights as well. And they're pulling all of these. That's a good thing, uh, not to discriminate against black people. I've never understood that myself. I don't understand. Uh, some of our members here are the dearest friends I've ever had, like Glenn and Brittany and and Sheldon. And these are black people, and I love them. Just They're my brothers and sisters. I don't understand. But they're taking that in the streets and trying to mix it with everything else and getting everybody to tolerate everything. When you start tolerating sin, that's Roman Catholicism. And that's what these guys are doing when they're changing the Word of God. Changing. Well, the this is all such a big, huge picture, it's hard to explain it all in just an hour and a half. When you see these men, they said, we won't wear this robe to the Pontifex Maximus, which means Maximum High Priest, so when Constantine started the Roman Catholic Church, he said he wanted to do that and have a military church. He actually had, the Pope had an army at one time, and he would put his army out against other armies. You can see that whenever they have pictures of the Vatican, and you can see those Swiss guards there. That, those were fighting men that guarded the Pope. I saw a special on that recently, and they were terrific fighting men. Well, so we're talking about when they, when Constantine, he felt like he was going to lose. I believe the world has gone Roman Catholic on us. This this idea of tolerating everybody's sin, that's Roman Catholicism. There, let me say this real plain. When we talk about freedom of religion, that's against the Bible. That's against the Word of God. In the Old Testament, there was no freedom of religion if you went after another god or you preached a doctrine that was in opposition to God's Word in the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy. If you did that, you had to die in Israel. There was no freedom of religion. That's one of our freedoms in America, and that's one of the things that's wrong. So we can let everybody in. Everybody can be a part of it. So when Constantine brings all of this into the Catholic Church at Rome, all of these hordes and these Huns, these Vandals, the Goths, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Burgundians, the 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 Franks, the the Gauls, the Celts, they rampaged all over Europe and they were not under the rule 
of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is in this shaded part here around the Mediterranean. And the beast comes up out of the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, because the beast is Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome that comes up out of the sea. Well, Constantine, for about 200 years prior, 200 years prior to Constantine, all of the all of the Caesars thought they were going to lose the empire. And so Constantine said, I'll do something about it. I'll bring the sun and the tree gods of all of these Huns and Vandals and Goths and Visigoths and Burgundians and the Saxons and the and the all the way up here. He said, I'm going to lose this. The empire only ruled around the Mediterranean Sea. He said, I'll lose it if I don't do something. So he brought these tree and sun gods. We know that they're the same thing that Israel brought into Israel when they went after sun and tree worship, Baal in the grove, because the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 5, Babylon mothered all idolatry. Babylon was the mother, gave birth gave birth to all I, it says harlotry but the word harlotry porne means idolatry and all idolatry was founded on one thing tolerance when it, when they found a plain in the land of Shinar in Genesis 11 and 4 they began to tolerate all doctrines 11 and 4 they said let us build us a city and a tower and let us make us a name. The name is the word name is the word Shem. And we know that Shem was the second born of Noah and he was the authority of God upon the earth. And the word name means authority. And God's authority was Shem, the second born of Noah. And they said, we don't like him telling us what to do. Let us tolerate our own doctrine. And it all started back there at Babel in Genesis 11 chapter. So, how did all this get into the church? We've got all their holidays. We've got Christmas, Halloween, Easter. Valentine's, Mardi Gras, they're all the same thing in the ancient world. People celebrate Mardi Gras like it's a party time. It's a sexual uh, party down in New Orleans. But so was Christmas in the ancient world. It was the Feast of Saturn. And we are tolerating everything that you can think of. And this is the change or this is the apostasy. Now, I said there's two things have to happen. You have to have the apostasy before Jesus comes, and that is full force right now. The apostasy's here. There's been a falling away, a removal of the daily cross. I don't hear any preachers talking about death to self, daily cross, self-denial. I hear them talking about how you can have a good life in Christ and how you can just be happy in the Lord. You're not supposed to be happy in the Lord. You're supposed to be like Christ. 
The only time I'm happy is when I get with the people of God. I look at the world and I'm grieved and I'm sorrowful. And Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.18, In much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge, the more you learn, the more you know, he increases sorrow. And that's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be sorrowful. And that's the truth. And what makes us sorrowful is this apostasy when we see all these creatures. Not only do we have their their holidays, they have tolerated changing the Word of God. The Charismatics have changed the Word of God. The Baptists have changed the Word of God. And they're the largest denominational group, Protestant denominational groups in the world, and they've changed the Bible. They don't even know what words mean. Let me read you something here. I read you stuff on Billy Graham before, but you can get all this all this off the Internet. This is information on him. Uh, they'll go into this walking down the aisle and accepting Christ is Roman Catholicism. It's walking down the aisle and accepting the Eucharist. The Bible says the natural man does not receive, does not accept spiritual things. Decomai is the word receive. It comes from dec, which is the word ten in the Greek. A decade is ten years. And decomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. Dead men do not accept anything spiritual. You can't. God has to pick you out, arrange your life to come across the preaching of truth. He'll cut into your heart without your, without your permission. If you've been chosen before the foundation of the world, he'll cut into your heart, make you alive, and then make you to start repenting and put you through fire and trials and tribulation and persecution, and he will overcome your life. And it'll be all according to the will of God. Now, I'm going to read some things to you about Billy Graham. They first started off with this mourner's bench. These were preachers out of the 1800s. Preachers like R.A. Torrey, uh, like uh, uh, Charles Finney. These were free will preachers, and they said you had to walk down an aisle. This all started, I've told this before. This is what the Mass is about. When William Randolph Hearst started praising Graham, he changed his old attitude about Roman Catholicism. You remember Patty Hearst? She was the one that was kidnapped back in the 60s by the Symbionese uh, Liberation Movement, and she was caught in the photograph robbing a bank with those people and said she was brainwashed. She very well may have been. But brainwashing is something, somebody says it over and over and over and over again, and they say it to an uneducated, unlearned people. And the Bible says in First Peter, that the people that twist and torture the word of God, 
uh, in Second Peter, the third chapter, it says these unlearned people twist and torture the word of God. And America has been unlearned for a long time. Back in the early part of the 20th century and the 19th century, they weren't bothering to learn and find out if these preachers were telling the truth. Well, they twist the Word of God. They torture it, the Bible says. They torture the Word of God, and they just accept all of the change. Well, that's that's how this all come about. Billy Graham said over and over and over, he started in the late 40s, around 48, and he got confused because he didn't know if if what he was preaching was the truth or not, so he started leaning towards Catholicism. And he had just, he's embraced the Pope. Something really, I was watching on the internet the other night, and there's a somewhat of a scholar named Dave Hunt. I have some Dave Hunt books from years back. He was Pentecostal in some ways, but he he did preach on prophecy. And he was talking about Billy Graham on the Internet. He said, he puzzles me. I don't know what he was thinking. He said, and he made the statement, he's been the most popular preacher in the world, and he he quoted a verse about him that I quote all the time. He, he said there in, in Luke, the sixth chapter, Woe unto you when all men speak good of you, Billy Graham. And Dave Hunt was a well-known uh, prophecy preacher and scholar of sorts. I didn't agree with everything he said. But he understood that Billy Graham wasn't telling the truth. He said, I don't know what happened to him. But when he came in contact with this Catholic that built him up. That's what that's one of the things that happened to him. And he picked up the doctrines of Charles Finney, and he's the guy that come up with the mourner's bench. You go down to the front of the church. This all started with acceptance of the Mass. Let me give you the story on the Mass again. How it originated, well not the Mass itself, but how it got into America and how accept Christ got into America. How accept Christ walking down the aisle. The Bible teaches against that. It says the natural man does not accept Christ or anything spiritual. When you're dead in sin, you're dead. You can't accept anything when you're dead. Like I've said, you go next when you're aunt dies, your grandmother dies, just go down to the funeral home after she's been laying in there for a couple of days and they've got her embalmed and just take her a hamburger and say grandma I'd like to brought you this hamburger you hadn't eaten in a couple of three days uh, can you sit up there and eat she can't take that she's dead and when you're dead you can't this all goes back how it got into the Baptist church accept Christ started with Henry the eighth what a statement Henry VIII, when he was the, Henry VIII, when he was the king of England, he was ugly. I mean, he was ugly. But he was always messing with these young, good-looking girls. And 
he had a wife named Catherine. And she got into her 40s. And she was called Catherine of Aragon. Aragon was the town or area she was from. They would take the name of the town as their last name over there. And she had gotten into her 40s, early 40s, 42, 43. And she didn't ovulate anymore. And she'd only had one son. And he was kind of a nitwit. And he couldn't take over the throne of England. So Henry VIII made up the excuse. I, I found this young girl, this uh, young girl, and I want to marry her. And her name was Anne Boleyn. And Anne Boleyn was good-looking. He was the king. Why would she want to marry him? He had more money than she could ever think of. So he goes to the Pope. And England was Roman Catholic at that time. He goes to the Pope and asks the Pope if he could put his approval and give him a special dispensation to divorce Catherine. Of course, the Pope said no. So Henry says, what I will do, I will secede from the Roman Catholic Church. I will start the Anglican Church. And I, that's called the Anglican means English or the Church of England. Church of England. And he said, what I'll do. I'll keep most of the things that they had in the Roman Catholic Church in the Church of England. I'll keep their incense when they go around. Incense. I don't know how you spell it. C-E-N-S-E. I'll keep the incense in there where they go around swinging that basket full of incense and smoking the place up. And I'll keep... We'll keep uh, their rituals, all their rituals, bowing at certain places and, and doing the sign of the cross and so forth. And then he says, I'll keep my own form of the Pope and I'll call him the Archbishop of Canterbury. And there's one other thing I'll keep in the church. I'll keep the mass. That's where people walk down the aisle after he says those words and they accept the Eucharist. The way they used to do it, they'd come down and kneel down, stick their tongue out, and they would place the Eucharist on it. They've gotten to where they hand it to them now. But what they were doing, they were walking down the aisle and the Roman Catholics say that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. The body and blood is present in the Eucharist. So they call that the transubstantiation of the changing of the body, changing of the cracker and the grape juice into the body and blood of Christ. Or they call it the real presence. That's a title in Roman Catholicism. The real presence. If you read anything about that, and I know a lot about this because I've studied a lot of it. 
Uh, you can buy a Roman Catholic catechism at nearly any bookstore. I've got several copies of it. And they will tell you all about they believe Christ is in that Eucharist. Well, so you walk down the aisle to accept the Eucharist. You walk down the aisle to accept Christ. How did that end up in America? The Methodist came out of the Church of England. They brought this these practices to America and the Methodists, during their camp meetings in the early 1800s, they would walk down the aisle and they built a little place down at the front that they had this morning bench, the anxious seat that had been brought in by people like Charles Finney and R.A. Torrey. I've known those names since I was a boy. And they, these guys propagated this more than anybody. And then after R.A. Torrey, it was Dwight L. Moody, and they've got the Moody Church. And this astounds me. They got the Moody Church in in Chicago, and and Dwight L. Moody. I'm familiar with his name from the time I was a little kid, and he was a free will person that that did not believe in predestination. They got a preacher at Moody Church now that believes in predestination to a degree. I don't even, I don't even understand that. And you can hear him on the radio. His name is uh, uh, I can't think of his name. Eric Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer, and he believes predestination light. I'll put it that way. And he's a fairly decent preacher when you listen to him on the radio. But anyway, the whole point is, you had Charles Finney in the early 1800s, then you had R.R.E. Torrey, then Charles Finney, and then Finney, and they brought in the ancient bench down at the front, and they would gather around, try to go down there and accept Christ, and spend all night long mourning and groaning and carrying on. And then... Then after Tory and Finney, you had Billy Sunday. He was a nationally famous preacher in the early 1900s, an old retired ball player. And he had a vendetta against drinking because he'd been an alcoholic. And he was the first move towards a showbiz preacher. He'd get up there and hold a chair up in the air and say, silly things like it's not hell it's not Hades it's H-E-L-L hell oh no it was Hades Billy then Billy Sunday died about 1935 and Billy Graham was a teenager at that time and he picked up Dwight he picked up Billy Sunday's attitudes about coming down and have some personal relationship and coming down and making a statement. But that's the Bible doesn't teach that. Just teaches belief. But once you believe, you'll go out and you'll start telling people about it. Then Billy Graham started preaching around 1948. And once William Randolph Hearst had put his approval on Billy Graham, Puff Graham, Billy Graham started preaching, accept Christ over and over and over and over and over 
and over and preaching the sinner's prayer over and over and over and over and over and over until it bled into the psyche of the so-called conservative public that believed uh, they were believers in America, the Baptists, particularly the church, the uh, the uh, Pentecostals, the Charismatics, and all of these. Let me read some things to you about Billy Graham. The Finney Anxious Bench was still accepted as mainstream approach and was left on the theological sidelines until the time of Dwight L. Moody and the latter one-third of the 19th century. Liking Finney's approach but thinking it too extreme, Moody took aside respondents to what he called the inquiry room. He'd take them into the back and say, pray this prayer. The Bible doesn't teach that. In 1899, Ari Torrey took over from the late Dr. Moody and took the inquiry room into the streets of Chicago where on-the-spot conversions were made. Torrey's approach bridged the church building based work of Moody with a, with yet to come modern day crusades soon after World War One, a former baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday took up where Ari Moody left off he took the church on the road he was the first to continue entertainment to combine entertainment with preaching and gained a huge following Sunday was very pragmatic on his approach and wanted to make salvation experience easier and simpler, and it's not. God may, it's simple to believe God once he births you and puts Christ in you. As a result, he told the folks of his rallies, just come down the sawdust trail and sprinkle sawdust all over the floor of the ground and my father did that same thing and called it the sawdust trail and take my hand despite the changes that evolved from Finney to Moody to Tory to Sunday the plan of salvation was unclear and loosely defined after World War II the most famous of all evangelicals Billy Graham stepped in to take Billy Sunday's place and he started this thing Finally, in the late 1950s, a co-worker of Graham's, the late Bill Bright, further articulated the concept and wrote a defining work on the, on the subject called The Four Spiritual Laws. The work, the work of Graham and Bright solidified the sinner's prayer, salvation experience among evangelicals. Because Billy said it over and over and over for 30, 40 years in every one of his meetings. That's called brainwashing because it's not true. In the most of the Protestant world, Bright founded Campus Crusade for Christ. And today the crusade has this version of Sinner's Prayer posted on its website. And it's not true. Sadly, the sinner's prayer never saved anyone, nor will it. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 witnesses, and ascended back to the Father, and so forth. Let me give you some more on Graham. 
And it, it doesn't matter whether people believe it or not. You, you need to get a book called Billy Graham and His Friends. I've got that. I have gone through it. it is a, it's an atrocity the people that he put his approval on. Uh, all of the, when he died, everybody from Donald Trump, Vice President Mike Spence, Greg Laurie, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship, Joyce Meyer, corrupt woman, Uhuru Kenya, President of Africa, of Kenya and Africa, Harry Jackson, Senior Pastor of Hope Christian Church, Beth Moore, Evangelical Christian author, Frank, Franklin Jensen, I've seen him on TV. He's a charismatic preacher, has nothing to say. Eric Mentez, an evangelical author and radio host. Albert Moeller, president of Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, Southern Baptist Seminary. They had nothing but good things to say about Graham upon his death. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, just like the guy quoted to you a while ago. You you cannot be liked by the world and be a friend of God. Woe is a is a is a cry of damnation. And here's a paper. Here's how America is praising its best known preacher, Billy Graham. And it goes into how many people he preached to. He's really corrupted the world. Billy has been seduced by Roman Catholicism, and I don't even know that he was a believer because I don't believe believers will believe and say the things he said for all the decades that he said them. And his family is fooled because when you go online, look up Ruth Graham, and she'll say how wonderful her father was and how everybody loved him and liked him. You have to be an enemy of the world. Friends with the world are enemies of God. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. And then he go, talks about Larry King. Billy Graham was Roman Catholic. I got a picture of him with a Roman Catholic priest, the Roman Catholic Pope, and he was just corrupt to the core. And but he went on Larry King. Larry King says, uh, uh, Are you forgiving of the infirmities of other people? Absolutely I am. Isn't that hard? Graham, try to forgive. I never hold a grudge. In fact, many people say that I, that I never get angry. That's what his daughter said. There's something wrong with a man that never gets angry. It lies. Do you feel the same about other faiths? Absolutely. King, Buddhism, Graham, I love them all. And welcome them all. And love to be with them. And friends with all of them. If he's friends with the world, he's an enemy of God. He says he's a friend of the world. For example, I just talked to a man in New York. He was a Mormon. King, my father-in-law. Graham, your father-in-law. And I've loved the Mormons for years. And yet there is a big divide between the Mormons and some of the other groups. But I have great friends among the Mormons and the same among the Catholics. This is Graham's words. Of course, I love Pope John Paul II. 
Well, I'm sorry, he's in hell now. And watch the whole process of his suffering, his dying, and the tremendous, my daughter went to represent me. King, I know, and you were with us the night he died. Graham, that's right, thank you. It's, it's insane. And he's crazy. He was crazy. King, but what about those faiths, the Mormons and others that you mentioned, believe in Christ? They believe they will meet Christ. What about those like the Jews, the Muslims, who don't believe as you believe? That's in God's hands. I can't be their judge. Yes, you can. You don't judge them, King? No, I don't say I don't say you're going to hell and you're oh I don't no one and Graham doesn't judge them because he is not a spiritual man and he does not believe in Jesus Christ who said no one comes to the father but by me then then do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity against God Graham has made himself an enemy of God this is the writer here how do you feel, Larry King asks, how do you feel when you see a lot of these strong Christian leaders go on television and say you are condemned? You will live in hell if you do not accept Jesus Christ and they are forceful and judgmental. Graham, well, they have a right to say that and they are true to a certain extent. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? But I don't. That's not my calling. You sound like Joel Osteen, Graham. And then Graham believes in killing babies. Billy Graham writes, we should accept abortion in these cases, rape or incest. Well, one of your fellow false teachers uh, was the product of rape, and that was James Robeson. So if he'd have been killed at birth if it had been aborted it would have been one less false teacher maybe you're right <laughs> goodness gracious and there's so much on Graham's the guy was just an out and out liar he just was corrupt but he looked real nice and he had a square jaw and had a big round voice when he was young so what's wrong with him and then here's a section on Robert Schuler. He had a he was on the hour of power with Robert Schuler. Tell me, what do you think of the future of Christianity? Schuler asked Graham. Graham, well Christianity and being a true believer, you know, I think there's the body of Christ would come from all Christian groups around the world or outside the Christian groups. I think everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. That is insane. God's purpose for this age is to call out a people for his name. He's calling the people out of the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have. No, they don't.
There's none that seeks God. And they turn to the only light they have. And I think they're saved. Well, good for you. Shuler. What, what I hear you saying is that it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into human hearts and soul and life, even if they've been born in darkness and have never had exposure to the Bible. Is that correct interpretation of what you're saying, Graham? Yes. It is because I believe that I've met people in various parts of the world in tribal situations that they have never seen a Bible or heard about a Bible and never heard of Jesus, but they believed in their hearts that there was a God. You have to believe in more than God. You have to believe God. And they've tried to live a life that was quite apart from the surrounding community in which they lived. Schuler's face beamed and he says, this is fantastic. I'm so thrilled to hear you say this. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Graham, there is. There definitely is. That's enough on Billy Graham. I could read on him all day. See, the world is Roman Catholic because everybody out there, in the most people in the Protestant churches believe you have to accept Christ which came out of the Eucharist it finally bled over into the Baptist churches and they give these long invitation hymns just like my father did and kept saying if you don't know tonight this may be your last chance there is no last chance with the elect all that the father giveth me shall come to me Jesus said those words how much time do I have Mike? I'm not even going to get halfway into what I was going to get in today. Let me tell you what these guys are. Billy Graham was insane. When I say insane, I don't mean to the degree that they're going out and killing people. They can't think right. Let me read to you. I took this out of Webster's Dictionary. Insane. Not sane, mentally ill, deranged, demented, very foolish, impractical, senseless, unsoundness of mind. Unsoundness. I believe what's wrong with the world, we have all of this rioting, the reason God sent the virus is because the preachers are not telling the truth and you can't obey God if you don't hear the truth. You've got to be agonizing over sin. You have to be repenting. I told my younger brother, I said, then you have to repent. And he says to me, I'm not going to repent to you. What he meant, I'm not going to start believing what you believe. Well, what I'm saying is the truth or it's not. Either I'm telling the truth or Billy Graham was telling the truth. You don't have a large crowd. You don't have a lot of people liking you when you're telling the truth. You can't build a mega church on truth. You have to build it on popularity, getting some really magical preacher that's got all of this great personality, is very charismatic, and I use that word in its true sense. Let me give you this. Insane means to be unsound. 
in mind. You're thinking. Minded means you're thinking. Noose. It's your thinking. Your thinking has to change. You have to repent. Repent. Metanoia. And you can't even do that. That's what Jeremiah said. Metanoia means to be turned, but you're only turned by God. Be turned and think differently. Think different than you've been thinking. Think according to God's thinking. I don't like people who hate God. I don't even want to be around them. Now, insane means to unsoundness of mind. It always makes me think of the biblical word sound. Paul said, the time will come when men will not endure. That's where we are now with all these doctrines. Will not endure sound doctrine. And if it's not sound, it's unsound. Sound is the word hugiano. It means uncorrupt. It means uncorrupt words. Vitagram was corrupt. Preaching, accept Christ. Will you accept the things of Christ? You will after you're birthed and born again. Will you, accept, will you pray a prayer to God? Well, yeah, you'll pray after you're born again. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You've got to believe first. And you can't believe, but God has to put it in your heart. Remember, faith and believe are the same basic word. Faith is merely the noun form of believe the faith. And believe, if you believe God... People say, how are you saved? You have to believe God. That's the verb. That's something you do. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. God has to put something in your heart that changes you into a new creature. Now, let me read to you sane. Sane means able to make sound Rational. Rational judgment. If that's if sane means sound rational judgment, then insane would be unsound, irrational. Irrational. When you tell people these truths about Billy Graham, they say, I just believe he was a great man of God. Well, he wasn't. No matter what you think. Satan used him in the churches of America. I've said this before. Let me say it again. They would have these big crusades in the early 50s. We went out to Will Rogers Auditorium. There's about 35 or 40,000 people there. When I was about 1951, I was about 12 years old, 12, 13, 12 going on 13. 
we went out to Will Rogers Coliseum to see him and I couldn't understand what the greatness in this man was. I'd sit there and say, he sounds like daddy and all of his friends. And I I couldn't figure out what what there was that was magnificent about him. Because he was saying the same things, but he kept doing that over and over and over and over again till he brainwashed the American Baptist and the American protestant church to believing he was telling the truth and he wasn't he wasn't from the start scholarly men are not the most popular man i don't know if you know that or not and graham was he was really insane i don't mean insane to the point he's out robbing somebody and beating somebody up i'm saying he wasn't saying rational things he was irrational if you tell people accept Christ is the way to salvation, the Bible says when you're dead in sin, you can accept Christ. I wonder if you ever saw those verses. Ever, all Baptist preachers will quote Romans ten thirteen, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I never heard one of them quote the next verse. How then shall they call on him? How say they pray to a God they don't believe in? You'll pray to God after you believe, but you can't explain belief. I don't know how it gets into a man's heart. God puts it there. And then sane means to be rational. Insane means to be irrational. Irrational means lacking the power of reason, contrary, absurd, mental unsoundness unreasonable it's unreasonable to tell a man accept Christ while you're dead that's unreasonable alright and they're insane because they preach all these doctrines now I told you earlier let me go back over here to Second Thessalonians do I have any time Mike? I'm just going to give you this real quick. I've got so many notes up here. These guys, the charismatics are insane. They preach this positive confession. Say they, Joel Osteen says, you got power in your mouth. You can change situations by your mouth. You have these positive vibrations. And if you say, if you think positive things and say positive things, and say it with your mouth that your mouth will create your own creation in your own world. How can you change something when the Bible says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Forever means it always has been and it always will be. And the Bible says, none can stay God's hand. Mecca. Nobody can stop the hand of God from doing what he has done, which is forever from to ever, forever. I know that whatsoever God doeth it shall be olam. It always has been, it always will be. How can you say things with your mouth and change what God has ordained to be from now on? You can't. God has declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times everything that's not yet done in your life saying my counsel shall stand and I'll do all my pleasure. If you're going to have a heart attack how can somebody say with their their heart, with their mouth well you're not going to have a heart attack you're going to be well. You can't do that. 
God's already ordained it. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. In Acts the 15th chapter. I, I am depressed at the world. Let me finish this up. The Lord, the day of the Lord will not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away is here. It's due to all the change of the doctrines of everybody back since Israel when they went after Baal and the Grove, which was brought into the church and renamed Roman Catholicism or renamed Christ Bass. I'll finish that next week. Let me finish this right here. He says that you be not soon shaken, verse 2, in mind or trouble, whether by spirit or by word, nor by letter from us. He says, don't believe any epistle that we write that the day of the Lord is here. It's not here. Two things have to happen. The apostasy has to come. The falling away first. Then that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Christ coming in flaming fire will be at the revealing of the son of perdition. That is the man of sin who will head up the world beast system at the end of time. Man of sin. That is the son of perdition. That's the man that will be leading the world into this tolerance attitude. I believe all of these things that are going on in the world today is the beginning of this tolerance. All of these things have broken out. They're mixing good attitudes with bad. And they use the good attitudes. It's a mixed religion. They're mixing, mixing not being prejudiced against the blacks anymore, which I believe in. I don't believe in the Black Lives Matter movement because it is a political movement. But I do believe in black lives. I believe all the lives of the elect matter to God. The rest are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. I don't believe in getting involved in religious politics. The world, Paul made the statement. Let me show you something Paul said. In 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I've quoted this so many times, i never just shown it to you. The fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. Fifth chapter. He's telling telling us not to company with fornicators in verse nine, uh, not only fornicators of this world, but with the spiritual fornicators, which is worshiping idols, which is self, but with covetous, covetousness is idolatry, or extortioners, people that are beating people out of money. Are with idolaters, for then must ye go out of the world. You have to leave the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man be called a brother 
if he's a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat then the next verse says for what have I to do to judge them that are without without means outside the church I don't have anything to do to judge those people who are outside the church do not you judge them that are outside and them that are without God judges those that are outside the church God will judge therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person don't run with the world that's what tolerance does it says let's accept let's accept this good uh, thing we ought to put up with along with this bad thing let's make the homosexual cause with the black movement don't do that I'm all for the blacks being liberated from a lot of this persecution they've suffered I've read many books I've read many articles on this I've had dear friends that are black men and they've told me what it's like I got a book called Black Like Me it was written back in the late 50s it's about a white man that he kinked his hair he took some shots that made his skin dark and he went down into the mobile area and tried to live he said I've never felt such persecution in my life a great book to get and read black like me he said I couldn't even use the restroom I had to walk forever to go somewhere if they caught me using it out behind a building or something they'd put me in jail I've had a I don't believe in the black leaders of the black movement like J.C. Jackson I believe J.C.'s white and I certainly don't believe in that preacher uh, what's his name? Uh, Sharpton. Yeah, huh? Sharpton. Al Sharpton? Yeah, Al Sharpton. <laughs> I believe Al Sharpton is what he sounds like. He's a Sharpie. I don't believe in the leaders, but I believe in the blacks that believe God. I'll put it that way. They are my brothers. But what has brought all this together is this tolerance movement that's Roman Catholic let's pull everybody together people say how can there be a world religion at the end of time you can't get the Muslims to become Catholic or the Baptists to become Catholic but as long as you'll accept all of their rituals everybody can hold hands and that'll be the world religion but it won't last and the Son of Man won't be revealed till Christ comes. Revealed apocalypto means to take the cover off. The Son of Man won't be revealed at the beginning of the last seven years of the tribulation. He ain't going to be revealed. The cover's not going to be taken off of him at that point. He's going to be fooling everybody till the end of time. And that's when Christ is going to come back. I've got so much more to say. I haven't even gotten to my notes today. I was going to tell you how the preachers today are spiritual illusionists. It's an illusion. People think they're hearing the truth when they hear people like Billy Graham and the Baptist preachers. I know what Baptist preachers are like. I was ordained by the Mecklenburg Association back in the mid-60s, the same people that examined Billy Graham in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
I don't believe in Billy Graham and these preachers in America. The preachers in America depress me. I define everything in sight and they define nothing. Especially death to self, daily cross, self-denial, being hated by the world and being infamous. You can't be famous and, and be a believer. Bless you, dear, when men shall reproach you. Reproach. This is one of my favorite words. O-N-E-I-D-I-C-O. It means infamous. You're blessed. Billy Graham is the most famous preacher in the last 2,000 years. I'll put it, put it this way. He's the most famous false teacher. And if you, you people that have been brainwashed by watching his messages on TV, all he does is generalize. If you, you need to accept Christ and, and let him come into your life, you have a better life, and he just shouts and tells people how easy it is to come in. And it's not easy if the righteous scarcely be saved with great difficulty because God makes it hard on us. We have to go through tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. I was going to tell you about spiritual illusion. A false idea of conception. Belief or opinions not in accord with the facts. That's what an illusion is. It's something you think is right because the guy looks good. If you haven't learned to quit looking at the outward appearance but look at the heart. Well, I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, you know how frustrated I am. I have all these things going through my head 24 hours a day, and I don't know anything to do with it but just tell people. Help us, Lord, to follow you during this time of trial of the coronavirus. Help the elect out there that hear to even the ones that are stubborn and they don't want to hear this about people like Billy Graham. Help them to learn and understand that your word is true. Truth is not according to the popular vote. Truth is truth whether anybody believes it or not. Thank you for everything you do cause us to continue in this work give me health and strength to continue as long as it's your will Lord I look forward to coming and being with you more than ever before but to live as Christ to die as gain thank you for your word fight our battles for us lead us to your elect in Christ's name amen well, Billy, I don't believe Billy Graham went to heaven. I don't see how you could compromising that much. If God knows how to to have Isaiah tell the truth, then his enemies take him, put him in a log and saw him in half. Does God know how to get Billy Graham to tell the truth? If God wanted him to tell the truth, he knew how.